If you are new here, I am uh, Dave Overhold, our lead pastor, and uh, we usually go and speak in series where we take a topic and drill down deep in it for about three to four weeks. And so we're right in the middle of a topic called Navigating Life Together. And that whole, this whole topic is trying to understand how to do relationships well in difficult times, in difficult times. Uh, we're, like I said, we're about uh, halfway through. There is, uh, there's another series I'm already starting to work on, so not next week, but the next one. And uh, I, we're, I'm just going to call it, the, this book can change your life. We're going to look at the Bible and how to read it. How do you read that thing? And we're going to actually look at some people that push back at the Bible and answer their questions honestly. So if that sounds interesting, hold on. You've got this weekend, next week, uh, to, uh, to be relational, and then we can uh, dig into God's Word. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, I'm just going to ask that God would come and uh, meet with each one of you here as uh, we hear from him. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are good in every circumstance. You come and move and show your goodness to us. Father, uh, I know each person comes in here bearing different weights, different stories. God, I know you know each one of those stories. You do. God, you have brought them here for various reasons. And Father, if this is for the reason for the next 30 minutes, Lord, I pray You'll open their hearts, that you would be the one that whispers to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As some of you know, I uh, enjoy researching and, and looking at uh, various research. And so uh, I, I, there, there's an old story about a town in Pennsylvania called Rosetto. Uh, and I read this in a book, and I just got so interested. I actually read some of the research that they did on it. And in this little town in Pennsylvania, they, they noticed uh, back in, in the 50s that uh, what, what happened, they just didn't have heart attacks. They, they had so few heart attacks. In the most vulnerable ages, they did a 10-year study. There was no heart attacks. In fact, the death rate in this little town was one half of anything in North America. And so I said, okay, we need, we need to figure this one out, right, so we can sell another book on this. And so they, they decided to do a study. They did a longitudinal study. They lo asked lots of questions. And this little community was an Italian-American community, sort of in the hills, sort of separate from everyone else. So it was a perfect study group. Uh, perfect in many ways. And so I said, number one, it's got to be diet, right? It's got to be what you eat. Uh, the beautiful, you know, Italian Mediterranean diet, all that beautiful olive oil. So they looked at what they ate, and they noticed that olive oil was too expensive for them. So I'm going to read to you what they ate. Here we go. Meatballs, sausages, fried in lard with hard and soft cheese. Doesn't that sound absolutely beautiful and disgusting at the same time? They said well, it must have been uh, healthy lifestyles, right? And this is what the researchers said. <laughs> they smoked unfiltered stogies and, quote, drank wine with abandon. <laughs> Some people say, where is this place? <laughs> Sign me up to this magical kingdom. <laughs> so uh, exercise was not a thing. Had to be the environment. Had to be the environment, right? And they worked in slate quarries with diesel engines spewing out all kinds of toxins. So that isn't, it must be genetics, right? Genetics. So they traced their genetics back to Italy. And no, these people were outliving their relatives. And like you, I go, I kind of lean in and go, well, what is it? 
I think I checked all the boxes. What is it? And this is why it was so fascinating to the research researchers. These folks moved from Italy, thrust together in a foreign land where, where a lot of they didn't know the customs and the language of others. And so they became very tight, very community-oriented. They turned and made sure that they were doing well with each other. In fact, their relationships were so powerful, they would spend the majority of their day in relationships. As, as only Europeans can, they'd start their meals around 7 o'clock and, and eat until 10 o'clock. They had three generations living together. They would go on sauntering walks together, and the researchers looked around, and they saw pockets in families. It was all relations. They were looking for anybody who was alone, and they just couldn't find them. And as they ticked off all the other boxes, here's their conclusion. They called it the Rosetta effect, effect. and they said the power of relationship gave them longevity and health. Now, I'm not telling you to uh, smoke stogies and and eat uh, <laughs> uh, meatballs fried in lard. But I just want to again uh, highlight the power of relationships and how breathtaking that is. And this is why we're on this series. I was saying just in, in a normal interactions, I just saw so many people not getting along well. Before the pandemic, it was, it was not good. During the pandemic, it's horrible, and, and still we go on not getting along. And so through this series, we're saying good relationships are difficult, but essential. They are essential to who we are in actual life. I don't want you to think this is pop psychology, that uh, we're just going to go and, and you know, throw in a verse here or there, but this is really just, uh, just uh, pop psychology. God inspired his, it through the Bible, the writers, to focus on relationship again and again. Read any cursory reading of the New Testament. You just hear about relationships, how important relationships are. I'll just pull one out. This is, this is one of my favorite sections of the Bible, the last, last part of the book of Romans. Romans has a lot of heavy theology at the end. He gives greetings to people. And, and as if he just couldn't get everything in, he said, oh, remember, do this, this, this. It's like your mom, you know, you're going out the door, and your mom says, oh, did you, did, you, did you get your mitts? Did you get your scarf? Did you, you know, all these things. So this is this little part in Romans 12. He says, you remember these things. And this one little verse, I just love it. Romans 12, 10, it says this. Love each other with genuine affection. Like, like don't be fake about it. Don't say, hey. Like, really love each other. In the community of Christ, there should be this deep, genuine love for each other. In fact, take delight in honoring each other. Have you ever seen anybody in delight? In delight? I, I, I remember my little girl coming out, out of school, and she'd be looking around to see, you know, where, where anybody was, and I'd be at the, at the road you know, waving. And the, 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 the smile on her face, and she'd run, and little pigtails would, would be flopping. And just pure delight. Isn't that a beautiful word, Delight. Delight in honoring each other. Oh, who can I honor today? This is exciting. Oh, I want to honor you and you because you're so amazing. Oh, yeah. And that is the community of Christ. I see this bubbling up here at Church on the Rock. Last week we gathered, a bunch of us gathered around and prayed for a dear friend of ours. 
I was going through deep waters. And I saw the group just with arms around him praying. And uh, I got a little misty as I had to get my prayer in there too. This summer there's one person who remained nameless just took a little piggy bank of hers where she's been saving up for a long time and just said, hold on, this person has a need. I'm just going to give it all away. There is something about the community of Christ that loves each other with a genuine affection and takes delight in honoring each other. So the question is, how do we get here from there, right? How, how, How do we get there? How do we get to that place of genuine love? You know, we can put in that the coordinates, put up our GPS and let's go. No toll roads, man. I just want to head there as fast as we can. So we're looking over various ways the Bible tells us that we can do that. Week one, week one uh, was, uh, was talking about there's no win in comparison. The more we compare each other, it, we're just chasing the win. And we never get the idea of catching up to someone because there'll be always somebody ahead of us. God has lovingly set out a race for each one of you. You each have a custom-made race. And so why bother look at somebody else's track? And so we can say genuinely from the heart, you had a vacation, you have a new vehicle, you have whatever. I'm happy for you. Why? Because that's your track you're running on. God's given me my track to run on. And it's a good thing. Week number two. We hit this little verse in, the, in, the, in God's word. It says, love covers over a multitude of sins. It's just like, okay, I'm going to let some of the little things go. I'm going to let some of the little things go. And uh, I, I picked up this phrase from Andy Stanley, and I, I just loved how he talked about it. He said, we need, as Christians, we need to over-underreact. <laughs> in other words, instead of going, Ur, we're going we're gonna to underreact, but we're going to do it overly. So we're going to over-underreact. And so we, we talked about, but we need to vent, Dave. We need to vent. Yes. And we looked at Psalms where, where David was venting with God. And that's why when you read the Psalms, they said, kill them all. We're talking about a warrior who's venting to God. It's beautiful. It's just, you know, amen to all those scriptures. But then at the end of each one of those Psalms, there's, but God, I will praise you. And so Jesus tells us. At the heart of heart, we are working towards forgiveness. That forgiveness is not passive. It's not, okay, I'm just going to let everything go. Last week, we drilled down on it. it actually, forgiveness, it prays for those who offend us. And every time we go, oh, I'm going to pray for that person, there's another layer of healing in our heart that happens. God is so amazing. We're going to try a new whole, whole subject this week. I'm going to introduce it with a phrase. Here's the phrase. I just want you to, to tell me your gut reaction when I say this. Okay, gut reaction. And especially if you don't know me well. Here we go. Here's the gut reaction. Phrase. Trust me. <laughs> right, trust me. If you know me well, you go, yeah, okay, what's the big deal, Dave? If you don't know me well, you go, what are you trying to sell me? <laughs> Right. What are you trying to push? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to manipulate things? It's interesting. Uh, before the pandemic, trust was already plummeting, hitting the lowest times in the research. Pew Research Center uh, did some new research on, on trust, and they say majority of people don't trust any news outlet. 
In fact, 92% say fake news clouds the issues and it can't be trusted. Trust in government is at all times low, so low that they're having a difficult time finding people to run for political office. You know, let's run for politics. Everybody will hate you. <laughs> and religion, religion. Man, that's been low forever. So, <laughs> you know, who, who trusts those, those uh, pastors? Who trusts religion? In fact, I remember once uh, somebody saying, Dave, there used to be a time when you were a pastor and you said, I'm a pastor. And that would people, okay, good, good. Now I trust you. <laughs> It's now it's like I'm a pastor. Whoa, now I'm backing up on that one. Uh, you're going to have to earn that for a while. You're going to have to earn that for a while. Reminds me of a, a great story. This didn't happen to me, but a friend of mine who's a youth pastor, they're going on a, a choir tour, a choir tour. And, and this was a youth choir. And so as youth choirs go, everybody came late. And so in the van, they're trying to, trying to get people to all the billeting situations. So, so he was billeting people. And it was late at night. And, and they'd driven a very long time. He got them everywhere. The van was empty. Now he had to find his home. And, uh, and he got, you know, he looked at his message. He got the address. He drove to the street. And he noticed that the houses didn't have numbers out in front of them. And he started to be a little panicky because they all kind of looked the same. And the description of the house, it looked fairly much the same, except there's one house with a light on. Good chance. And he, he sort of counted down. He thought, that might be it. He went up to the house and tried that. Oh, yes, yeah, so it's open. And the, and the instructions said, go up to the second story, first room on the left. He's a little afraid, but thought, okay, listen, I've dealt with junior highs. I can do this. He goes up there, opens the door, turns the lights on. Yeah, there's a woman in there that started to scream. He said at that moment, he realized that was the wrong house for some reason. And for some reason, they had the door, uh, the light on and the door open. And then he, he, he tried to help this by saying this. This is what the, his, his first phrase that came out of his mouth. It's okay, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Didn't help. Didn't help. <laughs> and so he just, he started to take off. And then he had discovered why the, the light was on. The door was open as uh, he met the husband coming in. And uh, he said, I never talk so fast. <laughs> never talk so fast. <laughs> uh, trust me. Just trust me. Trust me. Uh, it, I always thought that trust, the older we get, the more jaded we become. The Pew Research said that even 89% of young people have very little trust now in almost anything. As one quote said, this generation would rather be cynical than naive. Well, well, Dave, why are you talking about trust? What's this about? As you might guess, as you might guess, trust is at the heart of navigating life together. If I'm going to not trust you, where do I end up on Chad's chart? I'm always assuming you're in the bottom half, aren't I? I'm always assuming you have bad motives because I'm not sure if I can trust you. It might be a good action, but I'm not actually going to build up trust because I'm going to assume. In fact, there's so many people I know, I'm going to assume bad motives. I'm going to assume the worst in the situation until you prove otherwise. And it makes sense. Being cynical prevents you from being hurt. It's good. And some of us here have been hurt badly. The thing is, the more barriers you put up for being hurt, the fewer relationships you allow in. I, <laughs> I read this story about a, uh, a forest ranger 
uh, who was coming along, and there's a forest fire coming, and he had to warn all the residents. And he walked down this, this road, and this, this old hermit lived up in, in, in this section of the forest, and so he started to walk down the driveway and says, stay out. Okay, but, you know, this is life and death. No trespassing, the next sign. And then the next sign, you know, protected by Smith and Weston, there's a, you know, sign of a gun. And, and then, the, you know, the next sign, guard dog. And he's going, oh, my goodness, I'm taking my life in my hand. So he starts saying, hey, forest ranger, forest ranger. He gets up, knocks on the door. And the old guy comes out and says, oh, it's so nice to see you. I don't have many visitors here. <laughs> and I see that in some people around me. Throwing up so many barriers. And then they don't let anyone close. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this so beautifully. I, I, I remember reading this a long time ago, and it just this quote took my breath away. It says this to, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Isn't that true? If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that ca casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love. Is to be vulnerable. Okay, Dave, I, I get what you're asking me to do. You want me to be vulnerable. You want me to start to trust. I don't think I can do that. How can I stay safe at the same time be open? And again, the word of God just comes in and speaks so much wisdom to the subject. It starts off with Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is this idealistic standard that Jesus sends. And he says in, in Matthew 7, 1 to 2, do not judge or you too will be judged. That's a sweeping statement. And we're going to dig down into the details of that later. But, but it says, do not judge or you too will be judged for. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. In the same measure you use to others, it will be measured to you. And this is a, a huge comfort to those uh, people who cross the line and, and, and do things that, that are outside of, of what the people they love want them to do or even in their own heart they know they should do. And they'll say, they'll say, well, it's, don't judge me, don't judge me, right? The Bible says, don't judge me. You can't judge me. You can't judge me. But it almost feels impossible if you've been hurt by somebody deeply, and have your nose rubbed in it when they say, don't judge me, when you say, but hold on, that was wrong. How is that possible, Dave? How is that possible? How can we live a life without judging people? Like, didn't Jesus judge people? Even, even the, the, the woman caught in adultery, there's a great story of that, and, and Kyle talked about that this summer, last summer. You know, how, now, all the people were going to pick up stones, right, and stone her. And, and he said, no, no. And, and basically, he said, you can't judge her. But then as, he turned, as she turned to leave, what does he say? He turns to her and says, stop sinning. Wow, wasn't that kind of judging? How does this all work out? 
Well, well let's take a, a little bit deeper look at judging. If a judge, you know, picture in your head, a judge, they do two things. They do two things. They sentence, this is how many years you're going to go to, to jail. And, and they, they, before that, there's the trial, and they make decisions. In fact, there's two Greek words about that, uh, both, uh, both in the Greek, that, that sort of separate out that word judging that we only have one word for in the English. But judge, first of all, hands down sentences. So I, I believe when Jesus asks us not to judge, he says, listen, don't hand down a sentence. Don't take vengeance. Don't say, okay, well, you did this. I'm going to do that. It's not that judging is wrong. God gets to be the judge. Imagine, imagine standing in the courtroom and, and somebody is seeing a trial and somebody, you know, the, you know, the gavel is about to go down or whatever and and you say, hold on, no, no, I think you should give him two years. Somebody else, no, give him five years. Yeah, no, give him life. What would you say? It's not your job. You're not the judge. You don't get to pass sentences. This is uh, no, <laughs> seen nowhere clear than a biblical story in the life of Joseph. You know the Technicolor Dreamcoat one? That one? Where he was beat mercilessly by his brothers, had the mental torture of hearing they're going to kill him. He was sold as a slave. He was trapped and falsely accused. He was forgotten in jail. Does he have real reasons to be bitter? Yes. Was there significant hurt? Yes. Was he faking it? No. That was horrible. I, I can't imagine anyone going through any thing more horrible that in, in, in my circle of friends. Well, eventually his family finds him in Egypt as, as number two ruler. He saves him from famine. His father passes away, and at the end of the story, uh, as they're burying his father, all the brothers, the, the light goes on and said, hold on, he didn't wreak revenge on us because dad was alive. And so they run to him and, and lie to him, like, like a bold-faced lie, and this is what they say. Hey, Dad didn't want you to kill us. <laughs> he told us that. Yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he told us that. Don't hurt us. And as they, you can almost hear the pause, right? And the Bible says, and then they all fell on their faces and said this, we'll be your slaves. <laughs> we sold you into slaves. You got a whole bunch of, we'll be your slaves. Just don't kill us. It's one of the most beautiful sections in the scriptures. I'm going to read it to you in Genesis chapter 50. This is what Joseph says. Joseph, uh, uh, Genesis 50, 19 to 21. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Can, just so we can remember that one, all right? Can we all say that together? Yeah, the, yeah that, that's, am I in the place of God? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Am I in the place of God? It's not like no one is going to judge you. No, we have a judge. No, he will judge. And, and I think that should make us all go, hmm, gulp. But I'm not him. You intended me harm. I love the honesty with that. Oh, forget it. It's okay. No problem. No, you actually intended me harm. This isn't putting things, shoving things under the rug. This is not passing things over. This is like, oh, it's all good. Yeah, we're still friends. No, you intended me harm. Let's be honest about this. But God, 
guess what? God got involved. God got involved. The judging thing, I'm not sure when he's going to do that, how he's going to do that. I'm going to leave that up to him. But God got involved, and God intended, or in other translations says, turned it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured, reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Listen, listen, you did evil to me. You did. Let's be honest, you did evil to me. But guess what? God got involved, and he's going to make good things out of this. I'm going to let him judge you. That's not my deal. So we can be okay. We can be okay. Sure, if you're an authority, if you're government, parents, bosses, certainly, there are times when we are asked, even biblically, to, to, as parents to tell our kids to have a time out. <laughs> this is all allowed. But unless you have that role, it's not my job. It's not my job. Judges also gather information. Judges got, gather information where judges hear both sides of arguments. In fact, they might hear two, three, four sides of an argument. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where they said, Dave, this person, they're evil. Do you know what they did? Whoa, okay. I guess you're going to tell me anyway. And they go, blah, 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 blah. And they tell me what they did, right? And and it might be a broken relationship, and they've talked to one side, right? You know what's in the back of my mind? I'm gracious. I'm gracious, so I don't often say. I, but in the back of my mind going, there's another side, I'm sure, of that one. There's, there's two sides, three sides, sometimes four. In fact, the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 8, uh, 18, 17, the first to plead their case seems right until another comes and examines it. And so sometimes, internally, sometimes I actually sit down and talk to somebody and go, they, they're so evil and they did this and, and everybody should know. Do you really want to search this all out? Do you want to talk to the other person and the other person? You should probably talk to this person too and you should weigh all the, you should get, I, I think there's about 10 conversations you should have and then after you have a conversation with that person, you got to go and check it out with that person. You probably should get them together and in the same room talk to them. Do you want to do that? No? Okay. <laughs> Sometimes we gather information so we can make our own op opinion quickly. Certainly news outlets do that as we negotiate contracts out in the, in the spheres and, and everybody's trying to use public opinion and we hear half stories. But somehow, again, the Word of God tells us something about what we should be doing as we judge others. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. Before what time? <laughs> but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose, there it is, the motives of people's hearts. Listen, you know the Chad's chart thing? We don't know if they're good motives or bad motives, do we? All we see is the actions part. We really see just the action part. And we assume bad motives. Or we assume good motives. There are motives that only God can see. We can guess. We don't know. Again, I was listening to uh, Andy Stanley talk that really helped me figure this one out. He talked about there's always gaps in behaviors. There's gaps between we ex what we expect and hope people will do and what they actually do. 
um, I'm going to be there at 2, and they get there at 2.30. That's a gap, isn't it? That's a gap. Uh, I'm going to bring home this. I'm going to bring home these grocery items. And they don't. That's a gap, right? That's a gap. Okay? Now, now, we fill that gap with two things. We fill the gap with suspicion. You lazy. <laughs> like, there you are. You know? <laughs> what were you doing? Like, daydreaming again? We are so late. You don't really care about me, do you? Right? Because you didn't really write that one down. All that stuff, right? You can fill the gap with suspicion, or you can make other choices what to fill the gap. We choose what we place in the gap. We can fill the gaps with trust or suspicion. Maybe you were late because you're goofing off. Maybe there's a good reason that you're late. All of us, including me, tend to fill gaps with suspicion. We are suspicious because of just who we are. Some of us are suspicious because of our nature, our home we grew up in, past experiences, because we've been, tr- be- we've been betrayed. We're also suspicious just because of what we see. They've been light for three meetings. This is a pattern. This is not something that's new. This is like, this is something happening again and again. They're just that kind of person. And I, I, I would tend to fill this with, yeah, of course be suspicious. Because you're going to get hurt again. Except the Bible. Oh my goodness. It just, it just tells you about this love and the depth of love. Oh my goodness. There's a, there's a, a section in the Bible that is read at, at weddings all the time. You know this one, right? Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not rude. It's not selfish. That, that one, you know that one? And, and there's, you know, Pachelbel's cannon being played in the background. Everybody's swaying. And everybody goes, yeah, they're going to be so kind and loving to each other. And I'm right there. I'm, I'm, like, I'm within breathing distance of them. And they're looking at each other. And I'm going, oh, God bless you. <laughs> As the wedding, that, that wedding passage goes on, it says this. Okay. I'm going to tell you, it bugs me as much as it bugs you. So this is like an all-skate all kind of thing here. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love, here it is, always trusts. Oh, my goodness. Really? Here's another translation. I looked up other translations to make it better, right? So maybe I don't have to do this. Love believes all things. But, but, but that's being totally naive, right? Just totally naive. But what I think it says to me, it says in any relationship, you lead with trust. I'm going to lead, I'm going to assume, the first thing I'm going to assume out the gate is trust. I, I'm not going to prejudge your motives. Your motives, I can't see. Only God can see. The left-hand side of Chad's chart, I, you know, I'm not going to put that, I'm not even going to look at Chad's chart, right, uh, on that side. I'm going to assume maybe there's, there's good. I'm going to assume you had good motives there. I'm going to lead with trust. I'm going to lead with trust. But what, Dave, Dave, what happens if they break your trust again and again and again? Well, that's when you, you actually have conversations and can actually talk about their motives, their hearts. And you're going to come with a question, not with 
an assumption. Here's, here's, here's the question, and this is the best phrase. I think I've used this more than any other phrase in any other relationship I've ever had. I just, it is, the, it saves me. I wish you could take this, everyone could take this one with me. Here we go, here we go. Ready? Help me understand. Help me understand. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Like, you were late, you didn't care. What's your problem to? You're like, an hour late, could you help me understand what's going on? <gasps> See the difference? I don't know what was going on. I'm not going to assume the worst. I'm not going to judge you all already. I'm just going to go, I don't know. I'm going to lead with trust. I'm going to go, okay. Well, okay. I asked you to bring these things home, and you brought nothing home. You're allowed to do that. Fill it with suspicion. You don't care about anything I say. That, that, that doesn't happen in my life. But the idea is, you start with, help me understand what went on. And it allows the person to go, well, I was stupid, right? Come on, right? I should have written that one down. Yes. You should have written that one down. I'll let the stupid thing go with you, right? But isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Help me understand. Help me understand. Unfortunately, I am seen more in, in different situations. People say, Dave, you didn't say hi to me when I walked in. We're having problems, aren't we? In fact, you really hate me. You know everything about my life now, don't you? Maybe. <laughs> Or, I wasn't looking. I maybe not had seen you. Dave, can you help me understand? Are we doing okay? Because when I, I've come in and it doesn't seem like you actually reach out and say hi. Are, are we doing, I just, I need to understand. Are we okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're great. Or, you know what? To tell you the truth, there are some things that have been bugging me. I haven't had the guts to talk to you about it. Can we, like, grab a coffee? Isn't that awesome? I, help me help me understand what's going on. Dave, you, you didn't get back to me. You just didn't get back to me. Notice I, I'm using all these things on me. <laughs> oh, man. I, I guess I'm not really that important, am I? Or, Dave, you, I, I, I've emailed you a couple times. Are we doing okay? Like, I, you didn't get back to me. Maybe the, maybe the email got lost, right? I'm going to assume the worst. I'm going to lead with trust. I'm going to lead with love. And that, wouldn't you want to have relationships where, where love leads the way? And, and, and it just makes it so much easier to you to say, I'm an idiot. I was thinking about that one. I should have. And that's what the Christian community should be. Isn't the Bible awesome? I'm just putting that out there. When there's a gap, I will choose to lead with trust. When trust is eroded, I'll come to you directly. It, it, as a side benefit, it just stops gossiping. 
It stops people talking about other people. It just is good. And may I say this, this message is not about gossiping, but if you're not a part of the problem, not a part of the solution, you should stop talking about it. <laughs> is that a little harsh? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you're not part of the problem, not part of the solution. Not really your deal. So as we go away from here, I'm going to ask our band, our, our worship team to come on up. I'd love you to take two things with you. That phrase, help me understand, help me understand. And to lead with trust, lead with belief. And guess what? <laughs> Maybe we can get from here to where God wants us to be in our relationships. It's a beautiful thing. I was speaking at a, uh, a church, uh, Mount Hamilton, when I was a youth pastor there. And uh, <laughs> it's awesome. I was, I was giving a, a message on relationships. So I was doing the whole relationship thing. And people were, you know, nodding, taking notes. And they knew I was a creative guy. I was a young guy trying new things all the time. And so there's this guy that comes into the back of the church, sort of dressed in rags, all dirty, hair all disheveled. And you could see people looking, you know. He's sitting in the middle of the service. He comes in the back. And people, you know, I had one of the elders go, like, A to go, Dave. You set this up. You brought this guy back in here, right, didn't you? And so the service is over. And everybody just mobs this guy and showing love to him. They hug him and they offer. He had about three, three offers to go out to eat that day. It was amazing. So much love. And, and one of the guys came up. Okay, who'd you get to go and do that, Dave? Who, you brought somebody in to do that, didn't you? I go, no. He just showed up. And you could tell, you know, a church person, ah! as if that was a bad thing to do. But I looked and said, it's awesome when you lead with love, isn't it? Just assume good things. Just assume good things and ask. I sat down beside the guy. And he said, this is the friendliest church I've ever been to. <laughs> I said, yeah, it is. Anything I can do to help you? And he said, uh, I grew up at this church. I just wanted to see what it was like again. All right? Well, I'm here for another 20 minutes cleaning up and you would like prayer for anything, I'd love to pray for you. It was a good thing. If you are new here, just want you to know a little bit about our tradition. We usually have some worship songs now. This is a time for you to connect with God. This is a time for you to listen to the message again in light of what God might whisper to you. If you're on your way to God, if you're not religious, just look at the words as they go down the screen. These are actually kind of prayers that we sing to God. Uh, and if you want to try, you can pray some of those in your own heart. So one of them is, uh, is that you came to my rescue. It's such, such a beautiful song. So thank you, God, for coming to my rescue. If you're a believer, if you have a relationship with God, we have a communion table that's open. Any time over the next four songs, you're welcome to take communion, stop, and reflect on what God has done for you. We have a prayer corner in the back. It's just a space. If you want to come and pray, you're welcome to. But also there are people back there with lanyards. And if you're bringing any burden here, whether, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you don't, we will carry those burdens with you. We'll pray for you. We will show Christ's love to you now. Not when you go home, just like now. So Heavenly Father, come and be in this time of worship. May this uh, 
May your spirit come and move amongst us as we sing and worship, as we just observe what you do in your people. In Jesus' name, amen.